The MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted parlays to in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today and receive a $500 risk-free sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning today. We're also brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com, promo code SGP. And finally, we're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Sign up at UnderdogFantasy.com with promo code SGPN and receive a free $25 entry to use in the Best Ball Mania 2 contest for a chance to win a million dollars. That's right, a million dollars. Make sure to download the app and go to UnderdogFantasy.com. And of course, while you're downloading apps, do not forget to download the SGPN app in the App Store or the Google Play Store. You get all our ticks, podcasts, news, and so much more all right in the palm of your hands. That's SGPN in the App Store or the Google Play Store. Hi, Dilly Ho, DeGenerinos, and welcome to the MMA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, episode 62. And as we like to do around here, we dedicate this episode to a famous athlete who wore the number 62. Uh, Rich Hill momentarily wore the number 62 for my dad's Boston Red Sox. So uh, he doesn't wear it anymore. He's now on the dreaded New York Mets. But I will still send it out to Rich Hill for wearing 62 for, I think, a year. I think he was a Red Sox for maybe one year, maybe two. But anyway, this episode is dedicated to him. So uh, I, of course, am Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. Uh, I will be leading the show today as uh, Juicy J, Jeff Fox, has had to step away uh, for the week. He will be back Wednesday for our uh, review or our preview show, rather. Um, but uh, I am going to be leading the show today. Uh, like I said, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. I host the Top Turtle MMA podcast, as well as the Prelim Primer, and... Uh, I write for the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, uh, along with MMA-Manifesto, where you can see all of my stuff on MMA, and now, you know, doing a little bit of baseball on the side as well, so you can see a little bit of stuff on each of those topics. Um, usually, uh, I would be, as I said, joined by Juicy Jeff Fox, who somehow skirted me this week, because not only did he, you know, kind of leave me here looking for a co-host, but... He also badly lost to me in picks this week, and he's going to get out of uh, the lashing that he would have gotten, although I suppose I can still give him that on Wednesday when we do. Actually, it won't be a preview show on Wednesday because we are UFC with this week, so we'll probably talk about the Ultimate Fighter or something weird like that. Um, But nevertheless, uh, I am here talking fights. I'm not here all by myself. Joining me today uh, on short notice. He's getting his first short notice fight. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Grandsire MMA. You can check out some of his writing at My MMA News. Of course, I'm talking about Lucas Grandsire. Lucas, thanks for joining me, man. Of course, man. I appreciate you for having me. What, what's the expression? What's the corny thing all the fighters say? Stay ready so you don't have to get ready, all that good stuff. So uh, here we are, man. We stay ready. That's right, and he did stay ready for us. So let's, let's recap quickly what the uh, picks were, although I can't. You know, rub Jeff's nose in it too much here because he's not even here to to take the beating that he deserves. But Jeff, this past uh, this past event went seven in six, which is uh, pretty much what you've come to expect from the mediocre boys. We give you mediocre picks each and every week. So uh, seven and six, and if he was a true D-Gen like you're supposed to be and bet a hundred dollars on every single fight, he would have been two hundred and sixty-one 
249 in the hole, so uh, a good negative 250 plus day for him. I, on the other hand, was 10 and 3 with my picks. Uh, that would net a profit of 275.87, enough for me to beat him by almost $500 on a single event and giving me on the year. Drum roll, please. A $400 lead over him now, so his brief lead is now extinct. Uh, I'm back in the lead here. He does have a slightly higher pick rate than me, but as we know, I hit the underdogs. He doesn't ever hit the underdogs, so uh, we are back on top once again. And uh, yeah, I guess it's a good a good opportunity for him to miss a week. So uh, I guess I'm just going to have to brag here to myself um, in the interim, but. Before we get to the actual fights themselves, let me, uh, let me tell you a little bit about WinBet. Are you ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. And we're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on all of your favorite teams, players, sports from the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, we have what it takes for you need, need, that you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today and receive a special offer, a risk-free $500 sports bet. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning uh, let me tell you something, the boosted odds there, absolutely awesome, so make sure you 100% check that out. And in addition to WinBet, I also want to quickly tell you about PropSwap. We are brought to you by PropSwap, which is America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Football season is about to kick off, and PropSwap is here to make this the best season ever. With PropSwap, your bet doesn't need to win in order to make any money. It just needs to improve. For example, if the Atlanta Falcons are 80-1 to to win the Super Bowl to start the year and have one of the fastest starts due to their easy strength of schedule in the league, you think they're going to get off to a hot start. Make that bet at 80-1 to 1 before the season even starts, and then you can sell that slip for a big profit after only a couple of weeks. The average seller on PropSwap makes over $500 per month just listing and selling tickets. And when making your bets, remember to go, go for two. Make two tickets on the same team so that you can sell one of them for a profit and keep one to leave yourself some skin in the game. Get started today at PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap app. PropSwap, it's where America buys and sells sports bets. All right, so as I said, let's talk to about uh, UFC 265 live from Las Vegas. 16,604 people in attendance. Total gate, three point, almost $3.5 million. All those figures, of course, you can get on MMA-Manifesto.com. The main event, a heavyweight Interim title fight. I'm going to say it with that tone of voice. An interim, <laughs> it was an interim title fight. An interim title fight between Surreal Gain and Derek Lewis. And it was not a fight. Uh, Surreal Gain put it on Derek Lewis. If you go to Fight Metric, or I guess it's called UFC Stats now, the uh, the Fight Metric has got him. Derek Lewis is having landed 16 punches in 14 minutes. That's 16, 1 6. Uh, Surreal Gain not only just looking like the technical, you know, kickboxer that he is, but also kind of deadly in this one. Maybe more deadly than he's ever looked. So, Lucas, I want to start by talking about this. He did look to me as deadly as he's ever looked, as tough as he's ever looked. What do you, what do you make of a style matchup between him and Francis, who, you know, not for anything, Francis 
looked really good technically last time out too. Like he, he added some technicality to the power. What, what do you make of those two in their inevitable showdown? Man, I'm so excited for this fight. Not just storylines. We know sports. We love the storylines. Don't care. But this one from a style matchup. Like you have, you know, Sirigan's got this style where he's not this big power puncher, although we did see what happened against Derek Lewis. But he stays technical, likes to get in your face. So it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to Francis, who also has that crazy power. And sometimes technique can go a little bit out of the window if he gets excited. So style-wise, I'm so excited for it. You know, both men are going to have to be on top of their game. And it, it really feels like... You know, either man can win this fight, so I'm just so excited for it. Like, style-wise, storyline-wise, I mean, this is such an exciting matchup. Yeah, it's, it's it's weird, too, because, like you said, we've known Francis to be the kind of guy who to get sloppy when he gets excited, right? Like, <laughs> like the, the Yaya Rosenstroik knockout, first of all, when I watched it live, I was like, nice knockout, cool, yeah, he beat him quick. And somebody put it in slow motion, and I was like, <laughs> oh, no, what am I watching? What is he doing in there? But, like, then again, I'll say this. So we, I, I thought that very much from several of his fights. Then you see the Stipe performance, and nothing looked sloppy. There were leg kicks in there. He was throwing leg kicks. And, like, I'm interested to see what that looks like against Surreal, too, because Surreal is is better at that portion of the game, right? Probably not as hard of a hitter. I'm also interested in, in all the stuff that Surreal did against the cage, too, right? Because, like, you put Francis up against the cage, Surreal looks better there. Do you think that's an avenue, that that's something he could actually do? Oh, for sure. And uh, Cena is a big boy, too, 6'4". And, yeah, well, I was interviewing him, and he was like, yeah, I'm not that big. I was like, bro, at 240-something, <laughs> four, I was like, you're a big dude. And he was like, oh, okay, thanks. So, now he's a big dude, and... That's an important part, too, because you look at someone like Francis, and one of the ways you want to beat him is by making him tired. So doing that, and it's not pleasing to watch guys fight against the fence. I mean, I'll be the first one to, to say I'll hate it. But if you ask fighters, they're like, that's so important during the fight. So I think it's going to play a big factor in, you know, Cyril showing Francis that, you know, I'm a strong guy, too, although having trained together, I'm sure he already knows. But it's going to make him nice and tired, and it's going to be a really interesting uh, part of the game plan, too, because we know that you could potentially get caught, too. So as you sort of leave the clinch. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that factors into that matchup. And not just when you leave the clinch, too, because he was doing it from the clinch, that, like, weird back elbow he landed on, on yeah. Lewis. That's crazy. And then he followed it up with a one from the front. So, yeah, th that will be interesting. And you mentioned something else I wanted to talk about, too, because obviously the other big piece of this is the, the storyline. And Dana White said that Vince McMahon couldn't have written anything better I, I want to get your sense of this, too, because I, I feel like I in, like perfectly opportunistically asked you for this and then remembered afterwards, you, you lived in France. Like You're, you're, the, yes, you're the perfect host. I should, we should have kicked Jeff out even before I knew he couldn't make it here to talk to right. the French MMA writer. So uh, do you feel like – so he, he's right. Like This is a storyline, and it's going to be a storyline no matter what. But do you feel like the heat is there? Because they're both such polite dudes. Like, I don't know that I feel – I feel that the heat, and I'm not sure it can be, like, manufactured to a high enough level to be, like, a crazy grudge match. Uh, you're exactly right because it feels like the beef is more, like, with the coach. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like Francis, he, he's mad at, at Lopez because, uh, you know, there was some weird stuff that happened with the Steve A fight. Then it got weirder for the Derek Lewis fight, so he was mad at his coach. 
and then his coach feels a little bit bitter about it. And then in the meantime, they're training uh, Gain uh, and getting him ready. So it feels like, if anything, it's kind of like the coach has his beef, and then both fighters are kind of like, yeah, I guess we train together. But I'd be curious to know how much they've actually trained together. But, you know, if I, if I was Gain and I was on that mic after the fight, you have anything you want to say to the champion, I would have dropped that Daniel Cormier, you know, get your shit together. I'm waiting for you like that. That was, that was the opportunity, and instead it's like, you know, not not memorable at all. So it just it's it it you know there's a storyline I guess, but it's not quite as strong as like you know a lot. Some people didn't even realize they were training partners and stuff like that. So I feel like the storyline is just in theory. Francis is sometimes French when it's convenient. She hates <laughs> French. They might fight it. No, because look, look at Francis Ngannou. If you listen to his story, he's really not French. Yeah, he's even when he Cameroon, came over to Europe. Yeah. He, Exactly. He's from Cameroon, straight out of Cameroon. You could not be more from Cameroon than what Francis is. You know, went to Spain and stuff, and it's just, I guess he, he represented France, because probably at the UFC, they were like, oh, I'm from Cameroon. Where is that? Yeah. Like, fuck it. I'll just be, I'll just be French. You know what, man? I speak the language. That's cool with me. So, nah, so it's kind of a weird, but it, it does, you mentioned it, feel a little bit forced. Like, it's kind of like, oh, they should be beefing, and in reality, it's like, eh, not not so much. Yeah, and I think you're right with that Lopez piece to it, too, and, and, and I'm not sure, you know, how much hate is between Francis and Lopez, because, like, I obviously don't know, but in the, so I interviewed Surreal before, man, who is he fight? Oh, it was right before he fought Rosenstrike. Um, and, and right before he fought Rosenstrike, I, and I asked him, like, you're on a collision course with Francis right now, that going to be weird? And he was like, we really weren't ever teammates. Like he trained, yeah. he trained a little bit at the MMA factory, but it was like he was already out the door and he was already looking for somewhere in Vegas and he was already trying to set something up. And then he's like, and and, and I'm Lopez's guy, and that that was like he didn't say it in those words because obviously he had a much more eloquent way of putting it than that. But <laughs> exactly. but, but he th- that was the the feeling I got out of it. He was like. He wasn't really Lopez's guy when I got there, and I became Lopez's guy. And that just, like, and it, he didn't even say, like, it helped usher him out or it, it, it like, pulled him back in. You know, like, it, there was no animosity. He's like, we, we worked out a couple of times together, but apart from that, we weren't really teammates. I, like, root for him when he's not fighting me. Uh, you know, like, that, that was... <laughs> kind of ruins it. Yeah, yeah. And, which is, the, uh, again, a weird kind of feeling, right? It's like... He wanted. He was hoping to fight Francis, not Stipe. He was hoping to fight Francis, not John Jones. He was hoping. So like, it, he wants to test himself against him. But I think it's more of like, I, I think it's more of the stylistic piece to it too. That like, he's not there to like steal the French flag back and and plant it back in French soil. He's like, he's there being like, Francis is a really fun ass puzzle, and I think I can solve that puzzle better than other people can. And I, I kind of agree with them, and it's, that's the – it's, like, a really beautiful, like, sports, like, athletic rivalry, but there's no real human rivalry to it, which is why it's – it was so funny to me that Dana White said that Vince McMahon couldn't write – dude, Vince McMahon could have wrote something <laughs> much better than this. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I don't follow wrestling, but I'm pretty sure most of it is coming up with storylines. And I'm sure, oh, we train three times and we see the same footage of us point sparring a few times. Like, I'm pretty sure he could have done a better job <laughs> than that. But, you know, whatever you want, Dana. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm not buying that one. But uh, that pretty much wraps it up. We know what's next for Surreal, obviously. he He's going to go on and he's going to fight Francis Ngannou when they can finally work out that. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing that, and obviously we'll break that down down the road. 
let, let's talk a little bit about Derek Lewis because this was yes. Th- this is kind of what we've come to expect from Derek Lewis, right? Like he's gonna get pieced up. He's gonna look for the bomb. The really technical guys should out technique him all day. Uh, sometimes they don't, but sometimes they do. And it looks like this. Um, if it went another round, who knows? Maybe he lands a, an enormous bomb at minute 21 or something like that, and we're all shocked. But he just got outclassed in the way that we sort of expect him to, being the brawler that he is. What's next for him, right? Because like, I'm having a tough time imagining he works himself back for a third title shot at this time. But like, if he were, if that's the goal for him, and that's what he wants to do, and he can definitely still headline fight night, you know, cards now, right? Like he he would still be a great draw oh, for yeah. any of those. What do you got for him next? Where does he go from here? Well, that that's a complicated one because it kind of felt like Derek Lewis. The big thing was like. You know, and I went to Buffalo Wild Wings with my friend to watch it, who, you know, half the time you're trying to explain to him, here's why you care about this fight. And we're watching the, the Derek Lewis highlights, you know, before the fight, and his face the whole time watching people get killed by one punch. It's like, oh, my God. And it's like that plus the fact that, you know, everybody thinks he's hilarious, got this great Instagram with memes. Like, he's always going to be relevant somehow as long as he keeps killing people with those fists. But in terms of matchmaking, that's – it's tough because I would have liked to see Overeem, even though the way it would have happened was he would have been outclassed for all these rounds and then landed a, kind of a, a weird, funky shot, and then Overeem would have went down. But still, it would have been, you know. It would have been, been the been Yair Rosenstrike fight again, the, the Overeem Rosenstrike fight yeah. one more time. <laughs> exactly. Or every single one of Derek Lewis's fights where he gets a highlight real knockout. Like, this was so predictable. But, and, you know, still fun. We were going to pretend like, you know, that wasn't what was going to happen. But come on. Like, if you know what you're watching, you know. But. In terms of if you want to go matchmaking, it's tough because if you look at the rankings, he's fought pretty much everyone mm. except, like, what, Stipe, uh, Rosenstroik. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm trying to look at it, but for me, I like the, the Jairzinho fight. I think that would be a fun one. Um, you know, Jairzinho is kind of in a weird spot because a lot of people aren't sure they, they're necessarily on board with his style. He had that very weird finish where all of a sudden he felt like, ah, I, need, I have somewhere to be. I'm going to stop this fight by knockout last second. So. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like it. I mean, it, I don't know if it does a whole lot for either man, but entertainment-wise, that that could be a fun one. Yeah, and I, I think you're you're right. It probably doesn't do a ton for either of them, but it does make one of them, like, surprisingly relevant again. Right, because, like, you're right. Yeah, your Rosenstrike right now doesn't feel super relevant, but if he were to go in and stop Derek Lewis, like, suddenly we'd start talking about him again, whether he deserves to be talked about or not. Like, he'd just be there again because stopping Derek Lewis is crazy. Um, And <laughs> like you said, Derek Lewis, he just needs one time on the mic, and that's going to get him back in everybody's hearts. So, um, yeah, I like that match. Uh, and, I, yeah, looking at the rankings, I, I don't love a whole lot of other ones. So, um, I'm cool with that. Or maybe Walt Harris. Maybe Walt Harris. Walt Harris could be like, that could be the, the no stakes, a fun one of two guys who are going to get tired. Like, that could be fun <laughs> Two guys who are going to get tired. And I think they just booked Walt Harris, who, though, with some other up-and-comer, if I'm not mistaken. Give me two seconds. Putting the intern on it. Some young gun that I was like, well, young gun by heavyweight standards. So Tom, Tom Allen. Oh, Taitui Vasa. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that. Which one. I kind of like a lot. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Never mind. Scratch that. We're going to stick with our original. Uh, anything Taitu Vasa, I'm in. Yeah. I don't care if he's fighting a chair, a goat. Like, I'm in. Yeah, Taitu Vasa on a win would be kind of fun against Derek Lewis, too. 
In like oh, the yeah. worst you way. The build up? In the worst way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. The the build up, the after what where it's like Lewis will pass out and do a shoey with him after getting knocked <laughs> out. You know? So yeah, I'm I'm here for I'm here for that. Alright, and and it's worth noting that both of us, both me and Jeff, did have surreal gain in that fight. Um so that is one of the wins uh, on both of our ledgers. Let's talk a little bit about the co main event. Jose Aldo Came back to being Jose Aldo, I think. Uh, not only did he take a unanimous decision victory over Pedro Munoz, but he did it with a clean sweep of the round, 30-27 to 27 on every judge's scorecards. He not only looked like he was his old striking self, but correct me if I'm wrong, did I see Jose Aldo check a leg kick more than <laughs> once? I'm pretty sure I saw him check leg kicks. Yeah, man, Twitter went crazy. Every time he fights, like, leg kick, leg kick, leg kick. It's like, come on, man. It's not even the same weight class anymore. Like, can we? But, uh, yeah, everybody got excited. Some leg kicks, some checking. I guess leg kicks are the big thing now, and if a guy can check him, he's a god now. But, yeah, what incredible performance from him. Yeah, and I'm, I'll just say this. It's, he's, it's another weird spot, right? Like, we were just talking about Derek oh, Lewis yeah. kind of being in a weird spot. Jose Aldo is in the weirdest spot at being weight because, first of all, Bantamweight has got one of the gnarliest log jams of contenders right now, oh, right? Because, you know, in no offense, I love Aljamain Sterling. I've interviewed Aljamain Sterling half a dozen times. He's one of the nicer guys you will find in MMA. Nobody in the whole world feels like he's the champ, right? Like, like and I, I mean this in the – I mean it in the nicest way possible, but, like, he was – he got worked for a while. It was a very clear legal shot. The judges and the referees and everybody did what – the commissions did what was right. The UFC did what was right. And it doesn't make you feel any better about it. But now he has to go for a rematch with Piotr Jan, uh, who is probably the rightful champion. Then you got Rock Font sitting there. You got TJ Dillashaw, who just put on a, a great fight with Corey Sanhagen. And Corey Sanhagen is probably also not that far away from a title shot either, despite having lost that razor-close split decision to TJ Hillshaw. So now we have Jose Aldo here, a guy who, you know, is a legend in his own right, right? Like, he's probably, if not the best featherweight in history, one of the top three. Um, You know, and I feel like that's maybe not arguable, right? He's a top three guy. He kicked off his, his... Bantamweight career, though, by losing a split decision to Marlon Marais, regardless of how you scored that fight, getting a title shot immediately after that, losing that, and now he's gotten back-to-back wins where he's looked very good against Marlon Vera and Pedro Munoz, so, man, like, and and it looks like he's getting increasingly better at at 35, so I, I guess my question here is, first of all, do you buy that he is definitely now improving and finding his legs at Bantamweight, and second of all, what do you do with him if he is? Well, the, the tough thing with Jose Aldo is you're trying to figure out, is he like, is he an elite gatekeeper? Is he sort of in that weird Jeremy Stevens thing? Is he uh, is he that guy that, you know, he can beat almost anybody, but championship fight, you know, that he's not going to win that one. It's it's a weird one. I mean, I buy it. Listen, uh, Pedro Munoz, though, excellent fighter, losing 30-27 to Jose Aldo, that's, that says something. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw a leg kick getting checked, so people liked it, but... I don't know, man. I feel like with him, you have two different ways you can go. You can either go fun legacy fights, like people want to see a Dominic Cruz fight, or you can say, like, who's the most winnable fight in the top five that can potentially give him that title shot. So I think he's got one last run in him. I know we always love to say that in MMA, but it's going to be very interesting to see what they choose to do with him going forward. 
Yeah, and it, it's interesting, too, if, if you say who's the most winnable fight for him out there, I, I think it's a really hard question because, yeah. you know, the thing about his loss to Piotr Jan was is that it, it really made me feel that, like, at 135 pounds, he could still strike with a lot of people, but I'm worried about his, like, grappling and takedown defense down there. Um, and, and not that, like... I mean, it, it it started to wane a little bit at featherweight, too, right? Like, Alexander Volkanovsky just held him against the cage for a really long time. I, I think people forget that. Before he went down to to Bantamweight, his last fight, he pretty much just got, like, held in a position so he couldn't strike. And then Piotr Jan takes him down however many times Piotr Jan took him down and beat the hell out of him on the ground. I, I, I am questioning whether or not the the grappling of him holds up in this division and if you look at the the you know the top five like you said at, at bantamweight right now Algerine Sterling a guy well known for his grappling abilities and his submission abilities Piotr Jan the guy who just tooled on the guy known for his submission abilities uh in grappling he with those nasty foot sweeps and already beat Jose Aldo TJ Dillashaw who I think people sleep on how good his grappling is right like he, he's a yeah. pretty damn good grappler in his own right uh, Watch the Lineker fight. Yeah, the, exactly. And you know what I, I would say this about TJ Dillashaw, too, is he knows when he has to. He knows when right. when he has to grapple, he'll grapple. And, like, I think if he was fighting Jose Aldo and he just watched him fight Pedro Munoz like that, I think he does it. I think he comes out with a wrestling-heavy game plan. Sanhagen, who doesn't have the worst wrestling either. Rob Font, who, who again, I think people maybe sometimes sleep on the fact that he's good at grappling, but... Yeah, the the most winnable fight for Jose Aldo there of those five guys. Which which one's the most winnable for you? Ah, uh, that's that's a weird one. The first like my brain started going towards Aljamain Sterling a little bit and TJ Dillashaw just because TJ like he showed us he can go in deep water still, but I still have some question marks on how he looks. So uh, I don't know. And then Aljamain Sterling, like you think like a guy with wrestling that's going to be Jose Aldo has to have that suffocating sort of style. And I don't necessarily feel like that's Aljamain. I feel like if he were to stay on the feet with Jose, it would be a wrap. So I, I sort of look at those two fights because there's a lot of uncertainties. But I don't know, man. It it, it all, I feel like it all depends on Aldo and how he looks when he goes out there. I mean, does he look – He I mean, he looks fast. He's a big dude there. It's just – I mean, like you mentioned, the grappling is an important part, and you wonder if anyone has that suffocating sort of game plan that, that they can make work. I mean, T.J. Dillashaw, we saw it. He's capable of doing it against Lineker. doesn't do it often, but he's extremely well-rounded. I don't know, man. I'm I'm sort of on the fence. For me, it's kind of between Sterling and Dillashaw. How wild is it that in the middle of this conversation about who is the easiest person for him to beat at Bantamweight, the name that comes up is the champ? <laughs> Well, you already said it. It's the champ, and people can't see us, but with air quotes, with little asterisks, like the champ. Like, Aljamain, I feel like he just, even as a contender, people weren't sold on him. You know what I mean? Even, like, if you watch him grapple, you're like, wow, that guy, like, he's elite. But people still aren't sold on his grappling. So I I feel like he's one of those guys, like, he's going to go underrated in his career. And then when he retires, people will finally, well, hopefully for him, look back, and then finally give him that respect he deserves. Yeah, I, I hope so, too, but I think you're right, man. Like, I, I think I think Aldo would probably be a bad matchup for him, which also obviously begs the question, does now every Aldo stan on Twitter secretly hope Aljamain Sterling pulls off the rematch <laughs> so that Aldo can beat him for the belt? Oh, man. Because Aldo's never beating Piotr Jan. We, I, I feel yeah. like we can, we can be pretty obvious about that, because Piotr Jan 
did some pretty terrible things to Jose Aldo, uh, unspeakable things. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like that fight for him. But, yeah, I think that's true. Um, I feel like Pedro Munoz is probably far enough down the division that we don't have to necessarily fantasy bookmake for him. But th- there's a whole bunch of guys down there who are chomping at the well, bit. How, yeah, go ahead. Before you, before you move on from Aldo, how do you feel about the – Everybody, I saw everybody on Twitter is asking for Cruz and asking for those kind of fights. How do you feel about it? Like, is that, does that pique your interest? I, you know what? So I want to see those fights, but here's the thing, too, is that, like, while I will, I'd like to see him fight, you know, Frankie Edgar again or, or down a weight class or Dominic Cruz or, like, those, you know, Cody Garbrandt if he had stuck around because obviously now he's cutting down to 125 and fighting Kaikara France. I'd like to see him against those, like, legacy Bantamweights that we, like, fantasy matchmaked him against for years back at, like, the end of the WEC or the beginning of those weight classes in the UFC. But, you know what? I don't think it's that time, and I don't think that's where Aldo is. Right? Like, when Aldo decided, or Aldo decided to drop down to Bantamweight, there, there's a reason why he did that, right? Like, he didn't drop down there to be like, oh, now I can get those fun fights that we talked about 10 years ago. But, like, he could have fun fights at featherweight if he stayed there. He could have had fun fights at, if we're being really honest, there were fun fights for him a bit lightweight. He could have yeah. bargained for another Conor McGregor fight. He could have fought Donald Cerrone up there or something, you know, wacky like that if instead of coming down to Bantamweight, going up to lightweight and just brawling with a couple of guys, if he was looking for fun legacy fights, he'd have gone up or he'd have stayed put. The The move to move down was because he believes he can wear gold again. And, and yeah, he didn't have the best first two fights in there. But if you think that changes the mindset of Jose Aldo and where he's at, I just don't think he's interested in fighting Dominic Cruz right now because it, it doesn't get him anywhere. If anything, it's a step back from Munoz at this point. So I think it would be fun. I'd love to watch it. You know, 10 years ago, me would would have really loved to watch it. But I just don't think that that's what Aldo is there for. I, I don't think that's why he's here. So um, fun, potentially, probably not going to happen. How are you? Do, do you think he's interested in those fights at all? The only one that I feel like would have any interest would be Cruz because Edgar, how many times are we going to see that one? Just because they cut a little bit more weight, I feel like we have the answer to that one. Garbrandt, like you mentioned, 125, but I feel like Dominic Cruz is not a dangerous fight. And I mean that with all due respect. Like he's not uh, Derek Lewis going to knock you out with one punch. He, he doesn't have that suffocating wrestling. I feel like you could uh, help it add Dominic Cruz to your resume, to your win streak, in what's still a winnable fight, especially for Aldo, and he's shown that speed-wise, like, that's not really going to be an issue because we know Dominic is elusive. So for me, I feel like you could have the best of both worlds a little bit. Add to your win streak, add a name. And we know how the UFC is. If you add the right name, like, fuck it, we'll give you a title shot. They give him a title shot off a loss. Like, you don't think they might do it coming off of Cruz? Like, I feel like if he were to sit sit down with the UFC and they discuss it, there could be a scenario where it makes sense to fight Cruz. You get that legacy fight, but you also help yourself get to the title shot. So I feel like you do have something there. But like you mentioned, Frankie Edgar, that that one truly for me would do nothing. <laughs> like that's the one where that one, it's like, okay, it happened again. Like, cool. You know, now they fought in Venom and Reebok and, yeah, that, that's Chuck, and everything. That's Chuck Tito 4 for me. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, why, why are we doing this? But I feel like Cruz, you could potentially have something there. But it timeline wise too, like if he waits six months and fights Cruz and then has to wait a long time to get the title shot, like the clock is ticking. I know the joke is always how young he is, but at thirty four at Bantamweight, 
Like, if you can squeeze in this fight with Cruz and keep things going fast, it, it could have something. But for me, like, yeah, it there has to be an in-between, like, fighting the fun fights and then fighting those names that really do absolutely nothing. Yeah, and, and you mentioned his age there, too. For me, with Jose Aldo, it's more about the miles on the tire than the actual age of the car, right? Yeah. Because, like, it, there's a lot of miles on these tires. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a big piece of it. And, and I think you're right. Maybe Maybe Dominic Cruz is somehow... Maybe he checks both those boxes and they wind up in a, a good spot too. And uh, before we move on from this fight, it is worth noting that both of me and Juicy Jeff Fox both took Jose Aldo. So if you're riding with our bets for the co-main event and main event, you were two and zero in that one. Such a great Jeff didn't even get those ones wrong. So uh, hopefully you tailed us on a couple of those. Now before we start to talk about another really exciting fight on this main card, and man, did they have a bunch of them? Let me tell you really quickly about Paramount Plus. The summer of soccer continues on Paramount Plus. Stream over 2,000 soccer matches a year from around the world, all with the heart-pounding drama of CBS Sports, including UEFA Champions League, Europa League, Italy's Serie A, uh, Argentina's Primera Division, uh, the Brasileiro, NWSL, the Asian Football Confederation, and CONCACAF qualifiers featuring the stars from the U.S. and Mexican men's national teams, plus much more. It's all the best of the beautiful games with names like Messi, Mbappe, Ronaldo, Ramapone, and Pulisic. Be part of the excitement of champions are crowned and history is made. The world's game lives right here on Paramount+. Plus. Visit ParamountPlus.com and start your free trial and stream every match live. Okay, so like I said, uh, third from the top, a welterweight contest between Vicente Luque and Michael Chiesa. This was the only fight on the card that... Jeff managed to win that I had wrong. I was riding with Michael Chiesa, and damn, did I look stupid. Vicente Luque not only went in there and beat Michael Chiesa, but he did so in convincing fashion with a Doris choke in the first round. He got on the mic afterwards very loud, very, <laughs> well, maybe not very loud, very loud for Vicente Luque, because he's, right. he's not a very <laughs> loud guy. But it's the loudest I've ever seen Vicente Luque. And he, he pretty much said he thinks he deserves a title shot on this. And, and again, obviously, welterweight – oh, actually, you know, we were talking about Bantamweight being weird. Welterweight might be weirder just because nobody in the top five fights anybody in the top five. You know, like Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson was like some kind of weird rarity where people actually fight each other. Uh, but this is like a big win, right? Like he gets a top five win here. How close are we talking? Are we are we good giving him the winner of Colby Usman? Are we saying one more? Like where where's Luke fitting in this? Listen, if Leon can't get a title <laughs> shot, taking on taking on the king of the you know if if this is a no rules with unlimited rounds, he would win Nate Diaz. Like how on earth can he get a get a title shot? Like it, it's a logjam, and it's like and then you have Colby who's like you know what I'm going to beat a former champion and I'm just going to wait. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then Gilbert, now he's back in there. It's just such a mess. And it's like, you know, you look at Vicente Luque, and I feel like he really wasn't on the radar of a title shot. Now he is, but I feel like this is the fight where it's like, okay, all right, maybe you can get a title shot, but definitely not the fight that gets in the title shot, considering, you know, you need to sit out for a very long time and, and whine about not getting a title shot. Or in some cases, wait for years. I mean, now at welterweight, you're not allowed to have it that easy, and shame on you for thinking you could. Yeah, and and I'll say this, too. So I want to go back to your point about Leon Edwards, because Leon Edwards, everybody's darling of the welterweight division or everybody's most hated person (laughs) in the welterweight division. You're on one of those sides. You're either on Team Leon Edwards or Team I Hate Leon Edwards. So um, I I will ask you this, because I think the win over Nate Diaz, in theory, should have done a lot for him demanding the next title shot. 
I'm going to give you an alternate universe here that you're allowed to live in for a moment. Leon Edwards beats Nate Diaz by unanimous decision just as he did and doesn't take that punch in the fifth round. In that alternative universe, is he leapfrogging Colby Covington for the title shot? Ah, that's a tough one because that, that round did ruin everything. It ruined it, everything! It, 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 it wasn't even a round. It was a minute. It's like, come it on, man. Like, it wasn't even a minute. Through. It was like half a minute. <laughs> oh, man. It's like, and then all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, well, that's all that counts is that Nate Diaz should have gotten more time. And shame on you guys for limiting him. Come on, man. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like it just, if he had gone out there and just starched him, like I'm talking first-round knockout, Nate Diaz on the ground drooling, he looks at Nick, flips him off, whatever, yes. But I feel like, I don't know, this just wasn't the performance that really, you know, Colby, like I guess there's a storyline. We know people tend to go with the storyline. So I, I don't know if even without the 50 seconds or however long that moment that Nate Diaz fans savor, like I don't know if that truly would have been enough. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it may not have been enough, but I will say this is that like, I do feel like it did terrible things to his brand. You know, like, oh, I yeah. mean, like, you could say what you want about Leon Edwards. He has one of the most remarkable win streaks right now in Bantamweight, or uh, Welterweight, rather. It, it reminds me of Tony Ferguson it's in, in that respect. It's, it's so good, dude. And, like, if you read the names, too, it's not like he's beating schmucks. He's like, there are good-ass wins on that record. And, yes. and what are the two things you remember him for? And and this is coming from people who are who are diehard MMA fans, right? Like we're here talking about it for an hour on a Sunday. What are the two things you remember Leon Edwards for? You remember him from getting a three piece from the soda, and you remember him <laughs> from getting a one punch in the fifth round against Nate Diaz. Those are his those are his like memorable moments. In you know to, to tie this back to what we were you know originally talking about and what we should be talking about here with UFC 265. Vicente Luque now has a moment that looks really nice that isn't that. You know what I mean? Like, he has a he has a Darius Choke victory over Michael Chiesa. He's the only person to beat Michael Chiesa at welterweight. And he did so emphatically in three minutes. And I feel like ha- that just being in the back of Dana White's mind or whatever fan consciousness that we want to consider... I almost feel like it puts Luke in front of Leon Edwards. Am I am I crazy for thinking that? No, the the problem with uh, Leon Edwards and sort of his win win streak is that before it was like he beat RDA, and then you can justify him getting a title shot from that because other people did. Then he fights Bilal in that super weird fight, and then oh, that's the like, other you know, that's Bilal, the third thing we remember him for, right? Like gouging Bilal Muhammad yeah. out. <laughs> But it's like, you know, everybody likes Bilal, but it's like, let's be honest, you don't think of him as like that top contender getting the title shot. And also, Leon, kind of... also Leon was looking good in that fight, too. I, I would say yes. Leon Edwards was like, and granted, it didn't last very long, so we, we didn't get a lot of data on it. But like, he looked better than Bilal Muhammad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and even when he went on Joe Rogan, like I watched that one. I was like, what a weird ass guest. Like Leon Edwards on Joe Rogan. Yes, I'm watching that. And I like how Joe was egging him on to take the rematch, and Leon the whole time's like, nah, that first round told you everything you needed to know. And I think anyone that can sit down and forget, you know, how much they like Bilal, they can say, yeah, that's true. Like, you know, it would have been inevitable. But so I feel like the Bilal thing kind of hurts name-wise. And then Nate Diaz, same thing. Like, he has a name, but you don't think of that as a kind of a title shot name. So I feel like all of that stuff kind of took away some of the momentum. And then, you know, Almost, almost losing in a 16-round contest against Nate Diaz after that one minute that showed you what could have happened, that really hurt in terms of 
you know, keeping the hype going. So that that's kind of the problem is those two fights for me killed that hype for him. So so are we then just inevitably talking about the fight that we're probably going to see next? Because I, I was going to do fantasy matchmaking, but I, I think we just made it, right? Like it has to be Vicente Luque <laughs> versus Leon Edwards now, right? Like it, you know, Luque has gone on record and Burns has gone on record saying they won't fight each other. Because um, he said they're not just teammates, they're brothers. Uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson coming off a loss. Colby Covington booked with Usman. He just beat Kie. Said that's everybody in front of Luke. Like if Luke's fighting up on, after this fight, it's Leon. So would you want to see that? Does that sound like an intriguing matchup? And and you know, give us a a quick little preview. Who would you pick in that one? Look, man, Vicente Luque in any fight is an intriguing matchup. I don't care. Like, this guy doesn't matter. He's like, if I got to take 15 punches to hit you really hard once, I'll do it. So anything Vicente Luque, like, I'm intrigued by it. Uh, but they have fought before, and I guess Leon did put that picture of him jabbing Vicente, which I guess is supposed to speak volumes. And every MMA website has to create one article around one picture <laughs> of a jab. But, because you know how where it's a one picture. Oh, Leon savagely caught. No, it's, okay, man, whatever. Um, I don't know. I feel like Leon, is, he looks very good. I feel like he's a little bit more well-rounded. I feel like he'd use his wrestling. But there, for me, there's so many X factors, like the fact that, you know, Vicente can knock you out at any moment, that he can get a submission at any moment. But for me, the safer pick feels like Leon. But you know that at any minute, like, Vicente Luque can do something about it and just end the fight right then and there. Yeah, and, and that fight was, uh, now it's like four and a half years ago. It was in tw- yeah. uh, March 2017. So, you, you know, like running that one back, it doesn't feel awful, especially since that division seems to be the division of rematches right now anyway. <laughs> uh, it was 29-28 on every judge's scorecard, so it's not like Leon Edwards went out there and just put it on him. So, like, yeah, right. I, I think it's a possible matchup. I will say this division badly needs some new blood at the top. I can't. I cannot stress enough that I do not want to see Kamara Usman just fight 17 straight rematches. You know, right? Like he just rematched uh, Jorge Masvidal. He's going to rematch Colby Covington. After that, might be a rematch with Gilbert Burns, one with Leon Edwards, right? Like, and, and he fought Luke too already, right? Like, or am I wrong about that? Yeah. Yeah, he fought Luke too. So, like, are are we just going to see him rematch everybody? Like, I don't really care for that, but it seems like we're kind of going down that road. So. I, yeah, it's time for the Sean Brady's of the world to uh, <laughs> to rise up and give us some fresh blood. Uh, hopefully, whatever pulled him out of his most recent fight, he heals up soon. Um, Michael Chiesa, I mean, like, I guess we could talk a little bit about what, what's next for him. Because, yeah, like, he, he was on an intriguing run. Like I said, I did mistakenly pick him in this one. He, he did, like, tool on Neil Magny before this, so... Yeah, I guess, like, he'd be a good candidate to fight somebody like Bilal Muhammad. You know, if Bilal Muhammad's looking for a big name. But anybody else on the tip of your tongue for an interesting fight for Michael Chiesa? I mean, what about Stephen Thompson? Like, ah. They're both kind of in that, that weird spot. One, both of them specialists in one area. You feel like they could both shut each other down. Like, I feel like that one could be interesting. And at the same time, I feel like you sort of want to figure out, like, is Stephen Thompson still in that top five now that Tyron Woodley's gone? And maybe you can usher him in a title shot. And then figure out where is Michael Chiesa truly in the division. I feel like that one has some intrigue, but the Bilal one, that's definitely interesting. Uh, it, it's tough because Michael Chiesa's wrestling base means, like, fights against Masvidal is not really something no, that's going to get booked. it'd be so bad. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, why would you want to do that? But Stephen Thompson, where it feels like the UFC is kind of like, ah, we don't really know what to do with you anymore because it feels like the hype 
isn't the same, and he's killing every single contender. Every guy that's up and coming, Stephen Thompson's like, and you're going to lose a dominant decision. So I kind of feel like this one this would be a good little piece of matchmaking and an interesting matchup. Yeah, and, and it, it'd be interesting, too, because it would tell you whether or not what Gilbert Burns did was replicable. Because, sure. like, uh, you know, I, I don't think... I don't think Michael Chiesa is quite the offensive grappling threat that Gilbert Burns is. Um, yeah. You know, like obviously, you know, he showed in the Vicente Luque fight here that he's a step behind that. But it'd be interesting to see with Wonder Boy uh, if if that's a real hole in Wonder Boy's game now that he's. I mean, he's ageless, but he's also almost forty. <laughs> um, so yes. If we're saying his real age, uh, so like. It would be interesting now. Is is he like? Is he at that point where somebody who can wrestle a little bit is just going to do what Gilbert Burns did, or is Gilbert Burns truly like on a different level? And and this is not a problem for Wonder Boy. Kiesa might be the right answer for that. So yeah, I like that matchmaking. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the main card in just a minute. But before we do, let me tell you that uh, this episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. UnderdogFantasy.com. Use promo code SGPN for a free twenty-five dollars. That's right. Sign up right now and you'll get a free shot at their Best Ball Mania 2 contest, and that is worth a million bucks. That's right, a million bucks. Download the app today. Sign up at underdogfantasy.com with promo code SGPN. And while you're downloading apps, don't, for, don't forget the SGPN has an app of our own. That's right, it is live now in the App Store and the Google Play Store, and that app gives you easy access to all of our picks, podcasts, and so much more. And don't forget to toss us a review in either the App Store or the Google Play Store. Download the SGPN app now. So we can start to get to these last few fights on the main card and then the rapid-fire prelims a little bit quicker here. Tisha Torres kind of did what she did the first time to Angela Hill. Just, you know, she looked quick. She looked sharp. You know, again, not fantasy, but matchmaking every single one of these, but... Do, do you think this is a, a sign that, like, maybe Tisha Torres is better than we were giving her credit for? Because she had that four-fight losing streak to, and granted, three of them either <laughs> were or went on to be champions, and one of them's Marina Rodriguez, who, you know, the jury's still out, but that one very well could be a champion as well. And her last loss before that, guess this, is a champion, Rose Namajunas. So she got five losses on her career, and Marina Rodriguez is the only one who's not a champ. Were we maybe writing her off early? Because she looked good. Well, I think the thing about Tisha Torres that we all kind of understood was, like, she's capable of uh, being top five in the division and everything, but not champion. And I feel like this fight, it kind of showed, it kind of reminded you, like, oh, yeah, she can piece people up and stuff. But her her biggest issue is that lack of power. Like, she landed some good shots on Angela Hill, and you just know that there's nothing truly behind it to really, you know, put that fear in Angela. So it's just such a shame because that punching power can be so important. And we, you guys like Derek Lewis, we see the importance of it, but... Yeah, I feel like she showed us in that fight, like, I can be top five, I can be a player in the division, but in terms of championship, like, unfortunately, that's that's not going to happen. Yeah, and I think you're right, that, that like, lack of finishing ability is always going to be weird, because she, she's got two yeah. finishes in her career. That, that was her 18th fight. One of them was a doctor stoppage against Sam Hughes yeah. last time out, so, I mean, that's a stoppage if, you know, they're standing in different corners when it was stopped, so it was, it's a stop, <laughs> it's a stoppage, but, like, it's barely a stoppage, and then a rear naked choke over Juliana Lima in, uh... You know, she's obviously not still with the UFC, but, it, yeah, it's just kind of that lack of power and lack of finishing is always going to be kind of tough for Tisha Torres, especially now as these women at strawweight get better and better at finishing people. Like, right, like Rose is out there starch, <laughs> starching folks now. Um, and when she fought Tisha the first time, she also was not crazy powerful. You know, like she was not a big heavy striker, but all the work with Trevor Whitman 
I mean, like it has got her on a whole different level. I mean, Weiwei is is a you know pile of muscle. So like you know, like it's always going to be tough for Tisha Torres. But I agree. I think she she showed us that she is legitimately, definitely in the top ten and has top five potential. Um, so it was good to see that bounce back. Speaking of bounce backs, we also saw Song Dong pick up a big win over Casey Kenny. It was a split decision. All three judges kind of all over the place. 130-27 for Song, 129-28 for Song, 128-29 for Casey Kenny. So a little bit of weird ones. Uh, your thoughts on the judges' scorecards? Did, did you clearly see the fight for Song Yudong? Well, yeah, that's how I had it. You always have to root for Yudong and go with Yudong. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say Yudong a lot. But, no, it it was a close one, but I did feel like Yudong did enough to get it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Casey Kenny was kind of – I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know – Ever since he did that podcast with Sugar Sean, like everybody's sort of looking at him weird, but him getting on top of the cage and half-heartedly putting his arms up after the decision is red, like he, so he's a strange, strange fellow that uh, Casey Kenny. Yeah, he definitely didn't win himself any fans with that one. I'll also say this: I, I agree with the judges' scorecards because you know, no matter what the metrics tell you in that fight or whatever, and, and I haven't even looked at him real closely. Song Yudong looked like he was the one who was doing the damage. He, he looked like he was the one yeah. hurting Casey Kenny. That's always supposed to be what wins. So, yeah, I like Song Yudong in this one. Uh, you know, good win for him. Keeps him right at the the edge of the top 15. Speaking of the edge of the top 15, Rafael Fiziev, uh beat Bobby Green pretty handedly in one of – this was a no-doubter for fight of the night, right? Like, if you ever ended a night and thought, like, well, there's no questions about who won fight of the night. Fiziev and Green, um, an absolute war. Uh, you know, takeaways, does he have ready for a bigger name now? Uh, that's kind of a weird one, because I think that last round did kind of show you, like, all right, so, you know, he, and he's beaten some legit guys like Moicano and stuff like that, so it's kind of weird that Bobby Green gives him such a big challenge. I mean, and when I say that, if you listen to Twitter, like, Bobby Green winning round three means he won the fight, kind of <laughs> Nate Diaz rules for Bobby, him for Bobby, some reason. Bobby Green has got that base, too. Like, right, like, the, oh, man. The, they have <laughs> they have a brand, Nate Diaz and, and Bobby Green have a brand, and it is it is almost a clean circle in that Venn diagram. Like, it is, there is, it's not an overlap, it is a clean circle. <laughs> I mean, he does so many things to win over fans. Like, I know everybody's talking shit about his beard, but it's like, is that the first time you noticed the beard? <laughs> and he doesn't even have, he, he doesn't have hair. He has literally, I think it's like a dragon tattoo. Yeah. I know one time he was talking about his different wives, and he's like, I have a wife of every different ethnicity. I mean, this guy, it's like, he, and, and it's natural. It's not forced. Like, some guys, they try to do it, and you're like, all right, man. But him, it's like, he's just talking, and it's real. So uh, Bobby Green, you just you wish you could do something with him, but it kind of feels like you're going to be kind of stuck. And, you know, he won't. He could be a Masvidal, right, where he has that late career switch, but this could have been the fight if he had done some highlight reel. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one, and I, I think you're right about Fiziev. Like, I, I want to say, and I've been saying he deserves a, a top 15 guy, you know, like a Brad Riddell or something like that, but uh, yeah, like, you're you're not wrong. Losing the third round, at least on two of the judges' scorecards to Bobby Green, uh, puts a little bit of a tamper on that for, for most people. Whether it will on on matchmakers, I don't know. I think he's he's probably put enough in a row together um, that he's going to get one of those fights, but we'll see. Uh, we'll lump these next two fights together. Vince Morales beat Draco Rodriguez. Alonzo Minifield beat Ed Herman. Anything surprising in either of these two? Like, kind of the guys we thought were going to win. Well, actually, I took Draco Rodriguez, to be fair. I did miss them. Oh, and while I'm at it, we got to go back for those last two fights because I did not mention. I had Tisha Torres. I had Song Yudong. 
my co-host <laughs> had Angela Hill and Casey Kenny. That's where I took the big lead right there. So uh, for some reason, I only read off the ones where he was winning. Uh, we both took Fiziev. <laughs> we both took Fiziev. We both took Draco Rodriguez. We both took Alonzo Menafield. Uh, a- anything exciting that people would want to know about Morales and Menafield? Like both of them just kind of. They they won their fights. Menafield, I guess, looked good against a, a tough Ed Herman. Couldn't get him out of there, but, but looked tough. Menafield is so weird because he's one of those guys, like, he, you feel like he's supposed to be knocking out guys in the first round. And obviously, he's clearly chiseled, made out of marble and all that stuff. And you just, you feel with all these performances, he's just not doing that. So I feel like he's got this weird kind of hype where people are expecting one thing and then goes out against Ed Herman and gets a decision like that. I mean, it's... I feel like he's a guy that a lot of people are putting a lot of stuff on him, and in reality, like like that famous meme that went around, like maybe you're just not that guy. Yeah, well, and, and I will say this too. So it, it is the physique. It is definitely the physique, but also yeah. like from a, a, a technical breakdown, he, he came into the UFC with a TKO win on the Contender Series. He then knocked out Vinicius Morea, which maybe doesn't say too much, but then he knocked out Paul Craig. So like yeah. we had a reason to think that, and... He trains at Fortis MMA, and I'm a big sucker for Safe Sod <laughs> right. and, and everything he does. And if you're not a big big sucker for Safe Sod and everything he does, that's fine. But, like, yeah, like not being able to take Ed Herman out. And, and Ed Herman's tough and a super good veteran. And obviously the Devin Clark fight waned us on him a little bit because he got so yep. tired in that fight. I mean, this is a good win for him, but yeah, it's gonna we're gonna need to see a little bit more on Alonzo Menafield before we're uh, we're hyped on him again as a prospect. Um, somebody else we might not need all that much more about, although she is far from a prospect, uh, is Jessica Penny, who is now, uh, after four years out of the cage for various suspensions and all kinds of weird fighting with the law she did to try to get herself back into the cage, um, to no avail, she wound up out of the cage for four years, and she's now on a two-fight win streak since she's been back. She beat Lupita Gutierrez in her first fight, and now she picks up a first-round armbar over Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Are you putting stock in Jessica Penny here, or are you saying Karolina Kovalkiewicz made one of the dumbest decisions ever by choosing to grapple with her? I mean, first of all, we have to talk about Karolina. What on earth are you doing? Kind of reminds you of Randa Marcos oh. deciding that she can jiu-jitsu against the uh, It was so bad. What, what on earth are you doing, man? Get out of there. So there's that. Karolina, I heard a lot of people talk about her, and... The big thing people are kind of saying is she's no longer in her prime, right? She's on this kind of decline. It seems like at one point that could have been a huge win, not so much. I mean, isn't she on a five-fight losing streak? Yeah, so. and, and, and not just a five-fight losing streak. Sorry to interrupt you there. But not just a five-fight losing streak, but also she has said the words retirement in interviews unprompted. Like, yeah. like it's not just, you know, people pushing that narrative, right? Because, like, you're, you're looking for questions. You're a newer interviewer. Somebody's 36, and you're like, Oh, you're thinking about retirement? You know, like we've all been guilty of that. When we start, you know, I asked Clay Guida yeah. one time if he was thinking about retirement. He was like, "What? That's a dirty." I did it with Marin Renault. Yeah, so, yeah he, that, he called they it. They don't like it. He called it the dirty R word, and I put that in a yeah. in a headline, and everybody thought Clay Guida said, "Like, oh, no. yeah, it's such a bad thing." <laughs> like, ah, no, sorry, Clay. Um, so yeah, like she's got she has sure she's gotten that question, but she's also brought it up on her own. So like. It's right. not just a five-fight losing streak for Kovalkiewicz at this point. It's also, I think her foot's out the door, right? Like, she, it's yeah. not there anymore. And maybe that's what's shown through in this fight. That The the fight IQ might have been the first thing to go here. But that and the other thing. So you asked, like, you know, are we putting stock in Jessica Pena? Like, she's 38. 
You know what I mean? Like at, at 38, you reach that point where it's just like eh, you tentatively like maybe you can go on a run, but it's like eh, nah, probably not. So I feel like get these kind of fights. So it's good matchmaking. It's fun. You add it to a card. You you get a finish. That's always exciting. But in terms of putting stock in her, like yeah, no, nah, you reach an age where it's like it's it's way too risky to be doing that. Yeah, and there, I will also say this too: that the women's strawweight has got some murders. Um, oh yeah, you know, not just at the top either, but like. Even people with, like, a couple losses on the edge. Like, you know, we just watched Jinyu Fry look really good for a couple of fights in a row. Like, you know, Loma Lukbume is, like, young and knocking people out. And Kanako Murata coming off a loss, granted, is, like, a fun wrestler to watch. And then you got the Amanda Hibases and the Virna Jandirobas and, like, all of those guys at the edge of the, the top 15, like... Jessica Penne has, like, a weird, insurmountable mountain of, of hyper-prospects, yeah. sort of prospects, and then the biggest, like, the toughest women in the UFC. And I say that as no disrespect to Amanda Nunes, but I think there's no there's, there's no doubt in anybody's mind after the champion spot at flyweight and bantamweight, all of the top straw weights are at that level, right? Like, it's it's... Those two are the one and two pound for pound, and then you might as well just put the fly or the the strawweight division right after him in the pound for pound division because that division is so fun. So yeah, Penny's got too much to to overcome here, but uh, nevertheless, it's good to see her get a couple of wins after that long layoff. Um, all right, let's rip through these last four prelims here. Manel Kep uh, knocked out Ode Osborne with a gnarly flying knee, picked up a performance bonus in the process. Here's the thing. He didn't make the limit. He was this is a catchweight fight. He's 0 and 2 at flyweight, 1 and 0 of missing weight. Does he go to bantamweight now? Like what what is what's the the path here from Manal Cap? Well, I mean, you know, it's one weight miss. Like for me, when when we start getting two and when you can start to remember clearly like didn't he miss weight that a couple yeah. fights ago? For me, that's when it's like, okay. okay, it's over, man. Move up. I mean, it was a big miss. I, you know, I do want him to go out there and maybe get one more, but you feel like he does have a future at bantamweight, right? Like, isn't Odie Osborne uh, originally a bantamweight? Yeah, and like, he fought, it, he you fought know, at featherweight once, too. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, you could make it happen, but it's like, I want to give you one more chance to kind of fix things, but if we start reaching that point where you see an asterisk on every win, then it's like, come on, man, like, go to 135. It's going to be fun regardless, but I, I'm I'm all for giving him one more chance. Yeah, and it's worth noting he did fight at Bantamweight in Ryzen 2, right? Like, he, he beat Kaya Sakara, he beat Ian McCall, um, he did lose to Kyoji Horiguchi, but, like, no, no shame in that. So he's fought, okay. he's fought at Bantamweight too, so worth noting. Um, also worth noting, one of the other performance bonus winners uh, was Miles. Actually, Manel Cap didn't win a performance bonus. Scratch that because he did miss weight. Um, so, my bad on that. There were actually four performance bonus winners, which were Serial Gain, Vicente Luque, Jessica Penny with the aforementioned armbar, and then Brett Johns with one of the gnarliest two punch combos one to the body, one to the head. Anderson Dos Santos went out cold. Uh, I don't think much more to say about that. Do you have anything else to say about Miles Johns knocking somebody silly? Well, isn't it weird that he like he's no, you know he gets all these decisions, the occasional submission and stuff. He's a wrestler. His first career loss and comes back and now he's starching guys. You know, and he's getting highlight reels. Like, what on earth happened? Like, he's a guy that truly took that loss and then helped elevate himself. Like, he's. You know, people are going to start remembering his name the more he starts doing stuff like this. Yeah, and I almost wonder, too, if, if people forget that, like, or maybe even he forgot that he is a really talented striker, right? Like that two-punch combo, not just yeah. hard, 
it was also very te- it was very technical, precise. He was working the body. Like he's a good boxer, and I wonder if that loss to Mario Batista, which he he lost by flying knee when he was like kind of sort of shooting. I wonder if he just said to himself, like, look, I can outbox people and use my wrestling when I need to, rather than using it as is option one. And and since then, he's knocked out Kevin Natividad and and Anderson Dos Santos. I also feel like people forget the dude has a win over Adrian Yanez. Like that, I, it's crazy yeah. to think about that, and it's not even that old of a win. It was like two years ago. So yeah, like hey, maybe Miles Johns uh, boxing Miles Johns is going to be a fun one. But, uh, I'm here for it. You created a mystical figure. Yeah, right there. boxing, boxing Miles Johns. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm here for it if he keeps knocking people out those last two ways because both of them uh, very vicious. And then uh, last two fights, Melissa Gatto beat Victoria Leonardo. Melissa Gatto booked for her fifth UFC debut. Um, she finally actually has it. It's stopped by Doctor Stoppage because Victoria Leonardo's arm is broken. Then Johnny Munoz finally fights Jamie Simmons. This has been the second or third time they were booked together. He picks up a rear naked choke. Uh, not much to say about those two other than uh, good for those people finally getting in the win column in the UFC. Any big takeaway from one of those two? Well, I mean, the takeaway kind of, it's like, I believe, I think Max Griffin posted it, but there's like some sort of curse where every pay-per-view event, someone's getting some sort of nasty injury, and I think it goes oh, back yeah, like I saw that. five or six interviews or, or, or pay-per-views, and then, you know, I thought about it, and I was like, oh, no, like, did we, did we just create something? So it's Leonardo, so let, let's run this down for fans. So it's Leonardo's arm, correct? Right. And then, so then we would have had to go back to... So Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor's leg at, at 264. So then if we go back to UFC 263, I'm doing this on the computer, which obviously always makes for good radio. Um, then we were talking about who got hurt in that one. Had to be somebody. In 263? Uh, I'm trying to... Oh, Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill. Yep, that's right. Paul Jamal Craig Hill. broke the F out of his arm. Um, so that's two... 63, 263. Jacare, Jacare Souza at 262. 262. Oh. And then Chris Weidman, 261, oh, I believe. Man, that's five in a row with a bad print. Isn't that crazy? That is, Isn't that crazy? And you know, like, it's funny, too, because we keep saying like there's more and more big injuries and stuff like that. I don't feel like we're seeing – and, of course, there's no way for us to like go back and look at them all right now. I don't feel like we're seeing these on fight nights. Are we not? Like, it, yeah. it, it feels like less at fight nights, right? Like People are safe at fight nights and not at pay-per-views. This is what the live audience does to people. Um, so, you know, that's maybe maybe a lesson to you guys out there. If you're thinking about taking a fight, um, don't take one with a live audience because you're just going to break your leg. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, that does put a bow in UFC 265, the fifth straight broken bone. Um, we, uh, we once again thank you guys for tuning in. Again, I did not mention this at the top of the show, but if you are following us in the SGPN feed and not the unique MMA Gambling Podcast feed. Make sure you head on over and follow the MMA Gambling feed. Subscribe there. Leave us a review. At a certain point, they will cut us off from the mothership and we'll be out just on our own feed all the time. So make sure that you have that there. And, of course, you can get both of those feeds if you download the SGPN app. So you can get that all right in the palm of your hand along with picks, free picks. That's right, free picks plus news and so much more. So make sure you download the SGPN app. And, of course, make sure uh, you listen to us on Wednesday when Juicy Jeff Fox will be joining me once again. Uh, I'm not quite sure what we're going to be talking about because usually we break down shows on Wednesday. But now 
it sounds like we'll probably talk about the ultimate fighter and such. Um, and maybe some regional level MMA. We got PFL coming up this weekend. So maybe we'll talk some PFL odds or whatnot. I'm sure he'll have all kinds of things planned and I'll be able to rag on him a little bit for his, uh, his big losses this weekend. So, uh, make sure you tune in on Wednesday in the meantime. Okay. Uh, you can remember to, uh, like I said, like, and subscribe to this podcast, but also follow SGPN on Twitter and make sure that you are checking them out. Uh, the sports gambling podcast.com where you can see all of my writing about MMA and baseball. And of course, Thank you to my guest co-host for this week, Lucas Grandsire. You can follow him at Grandsire MMA, and you can check out his writing at My MMA News. And of course, make sure to check out the Lucas Grandsire podcast as well, which you can always check out on, on YouTube, right? YouTube? YouTube? YouTube and anywhere you get your podcast. All right, perfect. So uh, once again, thank you, Lucas, uh, for joining me. And again, you guys uh, can catch us on Wednesday. Bye.